0: Coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fourth Ward, Atlanta. Welcome Welcome to the Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. All right, and a happy hump
1: day to you. Thank you for listening, whether it's on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or a podcast. Yesterday, I led my show just sort of exasperated. As an in-city Atlanta resident, I live in Old Fourth Ward, as you hear the announcer say, uh, from uh, a condo tucked away in Old Fourth Ward, Atlanta. That's where this show emanates from. And we are well aware in our building, in our community, on our block, in our city, and hopefully throughout Metro Atlanta, it's understood, and the state, we have a unhoused problem. We have a homelessness problem. And it's actually caused several headaches for commuters who don't live in the city, who don't see the homelessness crisis when we've had entire <laughs> interstates Shut down when uh, we've had uh, city arteries closed because of fire set this time of year to keep the unhoused warm, but unfortunately under bridges and overpasses. And again, we lost an entire side of Interstate 85 a few years ago. Mayor Andre Dickens spoke of some new investments coming to address the unhoused situation and also the city's intent to clear encampments. I'm going to give you some of that press conference now.
2: Good morning, everyone. And thank you for joining us uh, this morning. Um, Monday, I joined uh, with partners, uh, members of uh, Partners for Home, uh, with HUD and other partner organizations uh, for one of the most important responsibilities of our city, and that is our point-in-time count, the pit count, if you will. Hundreds of volunteers banded together together to span across the city to survey people experiencing homelessness. And some of the people up here today also did so. The data we collected assists the city to be able to gauge our progress in combating homelessness uh, and also guides federal allocations and resources uh, towards this cause. While we have made great progress, there is still a tremendous amount of work to do. And so I'm here standing beside Uh, City council members, or police and fire and others that are here today and leaders in our administration because this is a group project and we intend to see it through. Uh, During that experience on Monday night, this wasn't my first time doing the the pit count, as Catherine can attest to. I I went a lot as a city council member uh, throughout the night to, to do this in years past. And so I wanted to go back out and experience it as mayor. And we ran into a, a lot of people that, that evening, and some folks had, were born here, some people came from other places recently, and some people had more month than money. Essentially, ran into some folks that had enough money to be able to stay in the in-town suites for three weeks, but they each month found themselves one week short. So in that last five to seven days, they had to scramble and find a place to be. Uh, And that's their life, that's their existence, on and on again, a hunt for that last week's worth of resources. And we were able to place that person in shelter and it's our intention to try to help that person get to stable housing. But that's just one example. Uh, When I've I've learned from Catherine that you meet one person experiencing homelessness, you really only just met one person experiencing homelessness. You You can't describe all with one big painted brush But as a community, we really have a moral obligation to assist our most vulnerable residents. This administration has prioritized affordable housing, and among other efforts, last year, we launched our Rapid Rehousing Initiative. The acceleration of our Rapid Rehousing Initiative is to at least have 500 less individuals experiencing homelessness by the end of next year. So that's the acceleration of this goal is 500, uh, really soon, uh, 500 individuals to come off of the streets of Atlanta. Friday this week, we are opening the doors to the Melody, a site that used to be a parking lot for city employees right around the corner, uh, but that will now provide temporary shelter using shipping containers while service providers can connect those individuals with wraparound services uh, that they need, including a path forward to affordable, quality housing. I look forward to seeing each and every last one of you in just two days this Friday. Monday, uh, my good friend, Council Member Jason Winston, sponsored two resolutions on behalf of the administration to double down our efforts to combat homelessness. One resolution allocates a $700,000 donation to Gateway to assist their efforts in helping our brothers and sisters experiencing homelessness. He also introduced a resolution that will allocate $2.4 million to Partners for Home to support their efforts in identifying areas in our city where people experiencing homelessness or using areas underneath bridges or highway overpasses as shelter or as storage, and then provide them with the assistance that they need to get permanent housing and any other wraparound services that they may require. And so those two actions by council, I applaud them and I thank them for unanimously uh, passing those resolutions. And today, I am announcing that I am issuing an executive order to allocate $4.6 million to the appropriate city departments to expand shelter services, warming center operations, additional shelter sites and provide the wraparound services and security needed to go along with these additional locations. These issues we are tackling did not pop up overnight and they will not be resolved overnight. This is going to take some time and it's definitely gonna take some effort And a lot of hard work. But again, it is our moral obligation to assist our brothers and sisters in need. Every single one of us is just really one bad day, one disaster, one serious illness, or tragedy away from experiencing homelessness ourselves. And so I want us to move forward with that in mind that this moral obligation is how we're going to do this group project to help. Uh, those people experiencing homelessness. And it is now my honor to introduce Councilmember Jason Winston to come give you more detail. Jason.
0: <laughs> thank you.
2: Good morning everyone.
0: Um, I'm Jason Winston, Councilmember for Atlantis District One and Chairperson for the Community De- De- Community Development and Human Services Committee. Uh, I want to thank Mayor Dickens, uh, his administration, uh, my my colleagues on Council, and all our partners that are here with us today. Um, As city leaders, our legacies will be defined by how we treat the most vulnerable among us. Atlanta has a history of confronting challenges head-on, rectifying injustices, and creating a path forward to make them right. The number of people sleeping on our streets every night night is more than just a statistic. It is a reminder that we all have a moral obligation to our fellow citizens. This week marks a crucial moment in our commitment to end homelessness. In collaboration with Mayor Dickens, this legislation reflects our city's core values. This funding will go directly to the organizations offering far more than just shelter. They are offering hope, support, and a path to a brighter future. Our message is clear. As a city, we are not just addressing the issue of homelessness. We are fighting to end it. Together we are choosing a path which which puts our values first and will lift up every Atlantan. We are reaffirming that in Atlanta when we see a wrong, we will strive to make it right. So I want to again thank Mayor Dickens, I want to thank our partners, and I especially want to thank my my colleagues on council who helped unanimously pass these pieces of legislation so that we can move forward and help those who need it the most. Um, At this time I want to welcome Chief Shearbaum so he can bring
3: some more words. Thank you. Thank you, council Member. Good morning, everyone, mayor. You know, oftentimes you are able to see the courage of the Atlanta Police Department, you see it on the news, on media releases that we put out, but we don't always see the compassion of the Atlanta Police Department. And we want to strive as we protect the city to be a compassionate and a courageous police department. And for a number of years, we have had our hope team, our homeless outreach prevention engagement team that has been at work Making sure that we are not criminalizing homelessness, but we're working to attack the root causes of homelessness. We work along with the partners through a wide range of faith-based community uh, outreach to go out each and every week to connect individuals to resources. And it's important that when we go under the name of the HOPE Team Mayor, there's just not an idea of HOPE. But now with the expansion of these opportunities and the expansion of more housing opportunities, these officers are now equipped every time they encounter an individual that is experiencing homelessness. They have more ready, available opportunities to get that individual off the street. We are striving under our mayor's leadership for one safe city. And that is one safe city regardless of your zip code or your bank accounts or your circumstances in life. And this police department will always be a strong partner, Mayor, making sure we realize that. And I want to acknowledge the men and women of the police department that are here and the HOPE team that are out each and every day, ensuring citizens of this city, regardless of who they are, have the protection of the law and have the compassion of the law. So thank you, Mayor, for equipping us to realize that here, right here in our city. Thank you.
4: Good morning, everyone. My name is, uh, good morning, City Council, Mayor. Uh, my name is Katherine Vassell. I'm the CEO at Partners for Home. Partners for Home has the pleasure of serving as the lead agency uh, coordinating body to create the strategy to reduce and end homelessness in our community. Today is an incredibly exciting day for us, and this is a very exciting moment in, in time in our efforts to reduce and end homelessness in our city as we are on the heels of the ribbon cutting for our first rapid housing initiative on Friday. It is exciting because Atlanta is taking strategic steps to end homelessness through permanent solutions in safe, high quality and dignified housing which will end a person's homelessness rather to continue to manage it. I'm grateful to all the city partners that we've been working so closely with to make this happen. The mayor's senior advisor Josh Josh Humphries and his team including Shatiqua Ellison have been pivotal in moving this work forward. The mayor's office and our partner Deputy Chief uh, Operating Officer LaShonda Burks for really helping us to advance these initiatives uh, strategically together through public and private partnerships. I'm also grateful to our new service provider, Hope Atlanta, who's with us today, as well as our property management team, TI Asset Management, who have courageously stood up to do this work and manage this first site with us uh, in partnership. And to our new development partner, Atlantica Properties and Principal Darian Dunn, who has been sprinting on this project before the ink was even dry on the contract, um, and he is still running. Um, Mostly, I am grateful to the city council uh, and to this mayor. Um, who has made it clear, not only his commitment, his unwavering commitment to affordable housing, but now his unwavering commitment to homelessness as one of his top priorities. The mayor has spoken even as recently as today and yesterday in no uncertain terms that homelessness is his priority, and he is putting resources and people power uh, to back that up. We cannot be more grateful for having this kind of decisive and committed leadership. And unlike other communities that are striving to create temporary solutions, putting Band-Aids on um, the problem of homelessness, this mayor is doing everything he possibly can to getting our unhoused neighbors, who are our neighbors, into permanent, safe, affordable housing. So thank you, Mayor Dickens, for your leadership on this. The research and evidence is overwhelmingly and abundantly clear that housing is the solution to ending homelessness, and not housing alone, but housing with the right complement of wraparound supportive services to help individuals as they transition out of homelessness into safe affordable housing. To that end, I want to be abundantly clear that when we talk about placing somebody into housing, they are connected with dedicated uh, housing case management to assist that person in achieving uh, client-driven goals and that housing is not conditioned on income, employment, treatment, compliance, or sobriety. So we're acting um, in true form to the Housing First uh, model of care. Our first Rapid Housing Site opening on Friday will be no different. In fact, it will have more robust services providing a four full-time staff for the 40 tenants. There will be two fully licensed clinicians with master's degrees and clinical licensure in social worker professional counseling. In addition, there will be two certified peer specialists who have lived experience in homelessness, who are in recovery from mental health or addictive disease, and know what it's like to walk in the footsteps of the individuals that are be moving into these units to help them with life skills and assuring that they are successful in their housing. Additionally, there will be a, a housing unit dedicated to an onsite resident manager. Again, somebody who has lived experience with homelessness and can walk hand in hand with the new tenants that will be moving into the property. As a part of our commitment to providing dignified, safe, and affordable housing, every unit is a complete studio. Each unit has its own ensuite bathroom and a kitchenette, which will be a true place for individuals to call home. And we are just getting started. In addition to the 610 units we already have in the pipeline in traditional multifamily housing developments for people exiting homelessness, this Rapid Housing Initiative will give us 500 additional units. Together, we are delivering permanent solutions rapidly through innovative partnership using publicly owned land and alternative housing products to keep costs at a minimum. In the last 12 months alone, we have permanently housed just under 2,000 households experiencing homelessness, and yet new people are coming into our system every single day. Together with our service providers, along with a mayor and an administration that has said we are committed to this, we will continue to scale housing solutions for our unhoused neighbors. Thank you so much.
1: All right, so I want to stop right there, real quick. We'll get back to this uh, press conference. It's just a few minutes ago. That was Catherine Vassell, CEO of the nonprofit Partners for Hope. Uh, she said, It's exciting because Atlanta is taking strategic steps to end homelessness through permanent solutions and safe, high quality, and dignified housing, which will end a person's homelessness rather than continue to manage it. Encouraging. The the thing that I guess is discouraging is, as Catherine Vassell mentioned, as many as the city can house, cities like Atlanta, elsewhere as well. There are still more coming into these major metropolitan areas that need to be housed, which goes back to what I was talking about yesterday, the need for a federal, state, and local action plan to address the unhoused in these United States. All right, we'll get back to that press conference, give you some more highlights when the Ron Show returns on the American One Radio app, americawoneradio.com, wherever you podcast. Welcome back to the Ron Show for Wednesday. Earlier this morning, Mayor Andre Dickens, council members, uh, Atlanta Police Chief Darren Sheerbaum and some of Atlanta, Metro Atlanta's homeless and unhoused advocates and organizations on hand for a press conference that spoke to a lot of what the city is looking to do to address the unhoused in Metro Atlanta. Atlanta Journal-Constitution reporter Riley Bunch there for the press conference and reports that Mayor Dickens said afterwards that the city plans on clearing out homeless encampments under bridges susceptible to fire. She wrote uh, his statements came uh, after a blaze engulfed a portion of Cheshire Bridge Road last month. That is, by the way, the second time that's happened in a few years. She notes that while investigators have not identified a cause, city officials and advocates suspect it was the unintentional result of unhoused Atlantans trying to stay warm from a recent brutal cold snap. Uh, Mayor Dickens telling the AJC after a press conference at City Hall that once there is deemed to be enough affordable housing units, the city will begin clearing and blocking off certain overpasses. The quote she got, the first thing is we are making sure that we have a place for people to go, which is to make sure that we open up these warming shelters as well as to provide stable housing. Once we have enough critical mass, then we will begin to strategically close down individual underpasses and bridges that are susceptible to fires as we've seen. I have to admit, I can appreciate the fact that it's at least waiting for there to be viable options to send folks before closing the encampments. And listen, I get it. They're unsightly, they're unseemly. I, as much as anyone is, is disheartened as an Atlanta resident to see tents under overpasses or even just alongside interstate exchanges, it's it's sad and it's it's a it's a bad look for the city and the state. The state needs to take some uh, responsibility for this as well. Nonetheless, at least the city, at least the mayor is saying, we're going to find a place and have a place for them first before we say, you can't stay here. Uh, let me get to a question in the press conference that I thought was pretty noteworthy. Sure. Hi, would you?
2: What stood out to you or what individual or person during the pit Yeah, so I'll tell you one thing that, that stood out with me, that there were individuals there that had just, this was short-term, this was recent for them. As I said, they had experienced something that I say they just had more month than money right now. Uh, they couldn't keep up with the bills they had, but they were sane, they were competent, and they were just looking for a way. And so that's where the other part is that we haven't talked about today is our eviction relief efforts um, with the Housing Help Center. Uh, We really want to prevent people from even entering into this space of sleeping on the the city streets or under a bridge. Mm -hmm. And so the people that we have helped to prevent them from going into homelessness is one one whole important solid pool of money and resources that we've stood up. But when I met individuals, uh, there was an individual, he had come from Boston, and he was hanging out here, and he was trying to get down to Tampa. And so he was migrating, he was making his way through, Uh, and he was in front of the Central Library. He had a cell phone and everything, and he was trying to say I'll I'll, I'll be out of your way in a little while, is what he was saying. I'm not gonna be in Atlanta long, it's too cold. Um, I was like, you came from Boston, but. uh, (laughs) But it was a real conversation, and he was like, I'm good. Um, And, and, uh, but then there were individuals that really, it challenged how I see the world again, over and over again. When I experience someone that you cannot have a coherent conversation with at all, I mean, like just trying to say, hey, we want to talk to you about this or that, and they are they are talking in a whole other space. Mm. It was difficult. And I tried to hang in there as long as I could to be able to capture a moment of sanity to try to get them to where uh, we could complete the document and get them what they need. And it, I ran out of the skill set. And um, that stuck with me, like, wow, what else? we got a housing unit that we're talking about. I don't even have a skill set to get you from the condition that you're in mentally into that space. And so these providers, these people that do that kind of work, you can't just one time some some dude standing over you saying, I got help for you. That don't always work. They nurture that. That's a a conversation that takes three, four, five, six, ten attempts. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was very clear to me as one example.
1: Fascinating to learn the sort of diaspora of human that those who are dealing with homelessness and the unhoused have to deal with from those who are completely within their wits and abilities, but again, just have more month than money. And then you have those as the mayor you heard spoke to that you just don't even know how to address. Encouraging that uh, Monday, Atlanta City Council uh, donated a combined $2.4 million to help relocate individuals and families living under bridges and another $700,000 to support the Gateway Center, which connects residents with services. Big presidential endorsement in the speech that followed it when the Ron Show returns on the America One Radio app, radio.com or wherever you podcast.
0: This is the Ron Show on America One Radio. So the New
1: Hampshire primary results on both sides of the spectrum seem to indicate we are... Just about already into general election season, which I guess should mean it comes as no surprise that some of the major organizations are already going to start doing their endorsements. And the United Auto Workers went ahead and endorsed their candidate for president. Let me take you to some audio from Sean Fain before he introduces who the United Auto Workers has endorsed.
5: UAW family, today I'm proud to stand up here with your international executive board and announce that the UAW is endorsing Joe Biden for president of the United States. And I am honored now to invite President Joe Biden to come and address our great union and join us in our fight for economic and social justice for the UAW and the entire working class. So UAW family, let's stand up and welcome the man who stood up for us. Please welcome the current president of the United States. We will re-elect Joe Biden. It's great to be home, yeah. one of the best unions in the world. You look out for one another, and the whole country, the whole country benefits from what you do. You know, please take a seat if you have one. You're tough as they come, starting with your President, Sean Fain. a leader with backbone, a backbone like a ramrod. I don't know where he is, but he is. Together, we're proving what I've always believed. Wall Street didn't build America, the middle class built America, and unions built the middle class. That's a fact. Look, I kept my commitment to be the most pro-union president ever. I'm proud you have my back. Let me just say I'm honored to have your back and you have mine. That's the deal. It comes down to seeing the world the same way. It's not complicated. You know, my dad, who never went to college, was the smartest, toughest, most gracious man I knew, who managed a car dealership for the bulk of my life, taught me a very important lesson. He'd say, Joey, this is God's truth. A job is about a lot more than a paycheck. It's about decency. It's about your dignity. It's about your place in the community. It's about being able to look your kid in the eye and say, honey, it's going to be okay and mean it and mean it. Folks, that's what the UAW is all about, and it's always been that way. Just after the UAW was founded nearly 90 years ago, it launched what historians call the most important strike in the 20th century. Flint, 1936. Walter Ruther organized a sit-down in the factory. They weren't sure what would happen. They were worried about getting beat up. But they were determined. They were determined. And it took 44 days, but they won the first collective bargaining victory in American history. And the leadership of the UAW spread across the country. and led to the first substantial wage increase in a long time. The first cost of living allowance. The first employer provided health care. Within four years, workers across the entire auto industry unionized, inspiring workers across other industries as well, giving life to new industries in the labor movement. I share that history with you because all of you made history again. I'm confident, and I mean this, 90 years from now, people are going to look back on the impact you had, you in this room, just like them 90 years ago. You matter now. You lead. And I respect all of you here today. You represent unions that always led, always lifted, and always inspired workers. The UAW legacy from Walter Ruther to Sean Fain today, Sean, you took a lot of heat, but you demonstrated extraordinary leadership. You did. what i saw a few months ago during your historic UAW strike the time this time in belleville michigan and i'll say i was so damn proud to stand in that picket line with you yeah. it's not the first it's not the first UAW picket line i stood in in my home state of delaware i've done it many times but it's the first time a president did it i found out later I've always fought for a strong auto industry, with UAW-built cars leading the world. This is what — this is about a simple proposition. You built these iconic companies. You built GM. You built — you built these companies. You sacrificed to save them in the worst of times. And you deserve to benefit when these companies thrive. As Sean said, record profits mean record contracts. I'm serious. And that's what you got. Record wage increases, winning back cost of living adjustments, greater retirement security, more paid leave, and eliminating tears.
4: <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa!
5: <laughs> you all know my position. I'm, I'm tired. i I've, I've tried. You know. <laughs> I'm tired about jobs going overseas, yeah. having products shipped. Yeah. Look, during the Trump administration, a lot of administration before that, what'd they do? So many so many people around America lost their sense of pride. Because whether it was an automobile company or any company at all, that factory that was there for 30 years hiring, maybe it only had 150 people in it, but it was a part of the community. Guess what? Corporate America found the cheapest labor in the world, and they sent the jobs to those laborers and sent the product back to us. But not anymore. We're building product here and shipping it overseas. Buy America and build America. I mean it. And what's really important you made sure the auto future of the world will be made in America. <laughs> well, I mean it. You know, I'm gonna digress just a second. Most people don't know that back in the 30s, when Roosevelt was talking about the value of unions, he didn't just say unions are okay. He said any product that in fact the Congress any money the Congress gives the President to spend. To build a product, whether it's an aircraft carrier, an automobile, a tanker, a staircase, no matter what that was, it should be built. U-A-W.
4: For a long time.
5: For a long time. For a long. Time, the Congress would make an appropriation and send it to the President to spend whether it's building an aircraft carrier or a staircase. And guess what? It was supposed to be built by an American worker with American products. Well, guess what? I'm going back to that. We build an America and we buy America. And here's what you all did you won commitments from the big three to create thousands of more jobs, invest tens of billions more dollars, building an auto future made in America. It wasn't just about what you did for the UAW workers. The fact is, you've transformed the entire auto industry. That's not yet unionized, or as we call that, the UAW bump. Because of you, Toyota, Volkswagen, Nissan, Tulsa, all gave their workers double-digit raises because of you. Workers across the country have seen the largest wage increases for workers building cars and trucks and any other transportation equipment in nearly 30 years. Thousands of these workers are already asking to join your union. Even before this, The UAW has been expanding its reach to workers in auto plants and from auto plants to to conceit casinos. You can tell I don't spend much time there. But guess what most people don't know? But the UAW represents researchers in higher education and workers. And because of this union, I'm pleased and proud that you expanded the UAW to include 5,000 researchers at the National Institute of Health, UAW workers. I, honest to God, have always believed that the union movement in America is important because it produces the best skilled workers in the world. That's what happens. It's good for everybody. It's good for companies. It increases the quality of the jobs, the quality of the products, and it's good for economic growth. In fact, I asked, which is unusual for a president to do, I asked the Treasury Department to do a significant study, the most comprehensive report ever, detailing how unions are good for all workers, including non-union workers, how they found that unions raise standards across workplaces and industry, improving skills and, safety, pushing up wages, strengthening the benefits for everyone. It matters. It matters, it matters. And some of corporate America finally began to figure it out. And look at what we're doing. It's good for workers and companies. Since I took office, we've attracted billions of dollars in investment here in the United States. We supercharged advanced manufacturing, including electric vehicles made by union workers in America. China's determined, China's determined dominate that market with EV predominantly made in China and Chinese jobs. The previous administration consent was content to sit in the sidelines and let China take all these jobs. But I won't let that happen. I will not. That's why I that's why I pushed and drafted the Chips and Science Act, investing more than $50 billion in manufacturing semiconductors here at home. Automobiles today require 3,000 chips of these chips to be made. That's why my bipartisan infrastructure law is building a network of 500,000 electric vehicle charging stations all across America, installed by your brothers and sisters of the IABW. That's what's doing. That's why the Inflation Reduction Act, was the other team, not a single person supported, that I signed into law dramatically is a dramatic incentive for the big three and other auto companies to make it here, their future here in America with American jobs. Jobs that we want to make union jobs. That's why I announced $12 billion to help companies that respect their workers implement a just transition to electric vehicle future. Because I strongly believe that companies transitioning to new technology should retool, reboot, and rehire in the same factories, in the same communities with comparable wages. And existing union workers should have the first shot at those jobs. Sean said, I appointed I appointed historically pro-union National Labor Relations Board because I don't believe any company should be using threats or tactics to stand in the way of workers' rights to organize, period. And folks, you've been very it's been a long time, but these investments are paying off. President
1: Joe Biden's drawing stark contrast to his presumed general election competition. Former President Donald Trump, well ahead in the GOP primary. You're listening to President Joe Biden accepting the endorsement of the United Auto Workers Union. So we'll pick up with that conversation when the run show returns in minutes on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to The Ron Show. For Wednesday, we're going to give you the last uh, seven minutes or so of President Joe Biden speaking before the United Auto Workers, accepting their endorsements in general election mode already, as it appears the GOP is as well. Let's pick up right where we left off.
5: Since I came to office, by the way, the last guy said he's looking for he's hoping for a recession. Here you go. because he does not want to be the next Herbert Hoover. He's already Herbert Hoover. He's the only president other than Herbert Hoover who lost jobs when he was president. Look, since I came to office, with your help, we've created 14 million new jobs, 14 million. Nearly 800,000 manufacturing jobs nationwide. And that means we're creating American jobs and exporting American products instead of the other way around, like we saw for too long. Unemployment has been below 4 percent for the longest stretch in 50 years, and it's going down. Wages are up. Household wealth is up. We have the lowest inflation and fastest recovery of any major economy in the world. We have the fastest growing economy in the world. I know we have more to do and we're making real progress. Over the last year, prices are down on everyday items from a gallon of gasoline to a gallon of milk, and folks are beginning to feel it. Last week, we saw one of the biggest jumps in how positive consumers are about feeling about their personal circumstance. But we have more work to do. But our plan is delivering for the American people, building an economy from the middle out and the bottom up, not the top down. That's what I said I was going to do. That's what I tried to do as a senator and vice president. But because when we do that, the poor have a ladder up, and the middle class does well, and the wealthy do well, although they should be paying a hell of a lot more taxes. We all do well. It's called Bidenomics. If you notice, all the major — all the major economists we're talking about, there's going to be a recession next week, next month. But all of a sudden, they're seeing the Lord. I'm a little worried some of the major economists in American history are now giving me credit. It's like, oh, God, what's going on? But look, all kidding aside, this is a fundamental break from what used to be called trickle-down economics. And some Democrat presidents did as well as Republicans. You know, I sat not a lot trickled down on my dad's kitchen table growing up. There wasn't a lot. The idea was that the wealthy do very well. There'll be a lot left over, and it'll trickle down to ordinary folks. Well, guess what? That trickle-down economy was supercharged by my predecessor. It cut taxes for the very wealthy and the biggest corporations. It shook good-paying jobs overseas because labor was cheaper. It shrank public investment in infrastructure and education. Invested less. It hollowed out entire communities. Closing factories. I'm not making this up. You know this to be true. Closing factories attacking unions leaving too many Americans behind. In fact, when Donald Trump was in office, six auto factories closed around the country. Tens of thousands of auto jobs were lost nationwide during Trump's presidency. During my presidency, we've opened 20 auto factories and more to come. We've created more than 250,000 auto jobs all across America. And while I stood in solidarity with you on the picket line. As, a, as your president said, I went to the picket line. Donald Trump went to a non-union shop and attacked you. Let me tell you something I learned a long time ago. If I'm going to be in a fight, I want to be in a fight with you, the UAW. With you. No, no, I mean it. We have a big fight in front of us. We're fundamentally changing the economy in this country, and everybody's getting a little worried about it, the the very powerful. Some are seeing the light. But changing the economy, taking it from an economy that takes care of those at the top, and changing an economy that gives people who built this country a fair shot. Again, back to my dad. All anyone wants is just a fair shot. Just a fair shot an even shot to be able to make it. That's what my economic plan is all about. That's what the UAW is all about. That's what your battle has been about. The days of working people being dealt out of the deal are over in this country, as long as I'm President. (laughs) Working people are going to get their fair share. You've earned it. You fought for it. And you deserve it. So today, I want to say to all of you, Thank you. Thank you. I could not be more proud or more honored that you've chosen to stand with me. For all the progress we made together, you're the real — I mean, I want to make it clear, you're the heroes of this story. It's not what I did, it's what the American people standing up with Backbone did. You're the reason why, and I mean it sincerely. I'm supposedly an expert on foreign policy. I've known every major world leader for the past 25 years. And guess what? As I tell every world leader, remind them, whether they're an adversary or an ally, it's never, ever, ever been a good bet to bet against the American people. Never, never, never. And that's been true throughout history. And it's still true today because of you. I mean this, because of you, I've never been more optimistic about America's future. We just have to remember who we are. We are the United States of America. (laughs) And I mean this. There's nothing beyond our capacity when we work together. We're the only nation in the world that's come out of every crisis stronger than we went in. So God bless you all, and may God protect our troops, and God bless the American worker. Thank you, thank you, thank you. walk out of my grandfather fitting his house up in Scranton he yelled Joey keep the faith my grandmother come to the door said no Joey spread it let's spread the faith
1: alright I think that's a good way to end the show that's President Joe Biden accepting the endorsement of the United Auto Workers earlier today thank you for joining me on the Ron Show and for giving me half day's grace here today by airing that speech back tomorrow 5 to 6 p.m. on the American One Radio app AmericanOneRadio.com, or review podcast show notes we got them ronshowatl.com have yourselves a good one see you next time